Welcome to the Tokyo Lens Podcast, and as always, if you are a regular listener, welcome back. Man forgets wallet with 2.8 million yen on it on the Yamanote line. Can you imagine that? By the way, 2.8 million yen, that's somewhere between $25,000 and $28,000 American, obviously, depending on the exchange rate, but that, that is a lot of money. First off, just to carry on you. That's that's an unbelievable, borderline unreasonable amount of money to have on your person at any given time, let alone to lose. Now, you can't fault him. We've all left something somewhere at some point or another. We've all forgotten something, left something behind. If you haven't, I would love to know your secret. Please let me know because I've lost more than my fair share of things, but that, that had to hurt. Now, I'm guessing that you've probably already assumed that the outcome of this situation is that somebody turned it in because, well, it's Japan. But if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, the one thing I always say is that people are people no matter where you go in the world. And in this case, a cleaner found it and was later arrested for not turning it in. The cleaner actually stole the money. Now, there, there is an article titled exactly that. Man forgets wallet with 2.8 million yen in it on the Yamanote line. The purpose of today's podcast isn't to go through an article, so we're not going to do that. I'm going to leave that up to your own searches if you want. But I did kind of want to start the podcast episode with this, just kind of a little bit of a dose of reality. Um, today, what we're going to be doing is a little bit of a Q&A. And I started this episode with this very specifically because I lately have been once again on this kick of, you know, you, this false safety and security. Japan is such a beautifully safe country. In fact, recently, once again, mentioned as like the safest or one of the safest countries in the entire world, but things can still go wrong. People like this still exist. Accidents do still happen. So it was just kind of a light word of warning, just a refresher that doesn't matter where you are in the world things happen. Today, what I want to do with you guys is go through a little bit of a Q&A. This is going to be an early form Q&A. I'm actually releasing a Q&A over on the YouTube channel probably on Tuesday, and I wanted to get out uh, a longer, more detailed version with, with totally different questions out to you guys right here on the podcast. I know a lot of you listen only to the podcast, or a lot of you jump onto the podcast earlier than you jump onto the videos. So without further ado, all of that aside, I have a small list of questions that I want to share today. Okay, um, I've selected a, a range of questions uh, going from stuff that'll provide a little value to stuff that's just personal and fun. So we're going to start off with, besides Fuji, 
are there any mountain or day hikes that you would recommend? And Japan being, I think the exact number is somewhere just around 70%. Over 70% of the entire country of Japan is mountainous. And that in its own is, is really incredible when you think about it. When you think of the population of Japan and the very little remaining space, like 30%, which again, a, a great deal of Japan is also lakes and rivers. So less than 30% living space in such a small country. And there's still this many people. It's kind of mind blowing. But sidebars aside, there are plenty of great mountains to climb. Like one of the obvious obvious ones that comes right to mind is actually the world's most popular mountain which is Mount Takao and there are all these different routes that you can climb up and everything like that but there are also less obvious ones like Scuba Mountain out in Ibaraki Prefecture or if you want you can brave the Alps. Now this question here obviously phrase it as like you know climbs that you can do in a day and japan has a ton of small mountains so my advice for this if you are looking to do a bit of a mountain climb or a hike in a specific area if you're going to that area just google see what there is and i can guarantee you there's going to be a mountain or a trail or something or just rent a car head out to that area and get off when you see a pathway or a map there are no shortage trust me no shortage of incredible mountain paths in japan in fact this weekend i'm gonna be finally finally getting out of the house i uh a little bit of a confession here guys i have been sitting in this office editing videos for the past four days and have not stepped outside once. Like I've gone out onto the balcony a couple times just to get some fresh air. But in Japan, they call that hikikomori. Now, hikikomori is actually a much more serious social issue. They are like social shut-ins. They do not go outside. They do not see the light of day. They stay in all the time. But hikikomori is just to kind of close yourself into a space and not really go out and just purely based on the edits that I have had and everything that I'm working on and adjusting stuff in my studio getting stuff set up shooting videos you name it I've just been inside for four days so tonight as I finish up this recording I'm going to be heading out to Asakusa I'm looking forward to going out there, meeting some friends. We're going to grab a drink or two. I might shoot a piece of content or two from Yahoo, which is one of the things that's getting me so busy this week, but I got to get those boxed off. I'm going to swing by a shamisen restaurant and pick up an umbrella that I left there. I don't even know why I'm sharing that information, but now you know it. You know that I left my umbrella at a shamisen restaurant a couple weeks ago, and they've been kind enough to hold on to it. See? All kinds of people. That is the other side of the coin. Getting back to the main point, this weekend I am then heading up north. And this time up north is just my time. It's just time for me to kick back, enjoy nature, kind of refresh my mind, and maybe go on a hike or two, providing that the weather is kind to me. So fingers crossed. Perhaps as you listen to this, I may be hiking through the wilderness 
with no phone in my pocket. Okay, there will definitely be a phone in my pocket. It just won't be touched. I honestly think the idea of just leaving the phone behind is just pure insanity, especially in a country that has as many earthquakes and disasters as Japan. Weird little pet peeve side, weird thing about me. Because of the level of disasters that can happen in Japan, everything from earthquakes and tsunamis to the typhoons and everything that falls in between that and within those categories, I put a weird level of importance on your phone, on making sure that the phone has a proper amount of battery or connection or this, that, the next thing. I just feel that making sure that you have your phone and that you are connected despite all my belief of how much, you know, this can ruin our sense of adventure and everything if we are always on our phones. Having it there for emergencies is really, really big in my books. And I think a lot of it comes from being through that March 11th earthquake back in 2011 and seeing how difficult it was for everyone to get a hold of each other, seeing how cell phone networks went down, this, that, the next thing. And I actually, I've downloaded whole series of apps, maps, you name it, onto my phone just in the case that there is another disaster. And wherever I go, one of the things I do before I get there is make sure that that section of the map is downloaded into my phone. I, I don't know if that's a survivalist thing. I don't know if it's a good habit to have if I'm just insanely paranoid. But it's one of those things that when you've been through it, you'd much rather be safe than sorry. You want to know your way. Anyways, I have massively, massively sidebarred off of this whole mountain day hikes. There are plenty. There's no shortage. On to the next question. It says, uh, I'm a fan of your work. Thank you. And how did you learn videography? Videography, I got my start the almost the same way that my buddy Dogen got his start. We actually, we realized that we knew each other from long, long ago. And we both got our start through making videos of extreme martial arts and stunts. Back in the day, uh, we did something called stunts or tricking, XMA, whatever you want to call it. And it was basically martial arts mixed with acrobatics and gymnastics, running up the wall and backflipping off extreme kicks. And you'd go out to a gymnastics gym or something like that. And you would practice with everybody. You would have, you know, your little camcorder or whatever it was. I think at the time I actually had a Sony Handycam, which is sitting right on my shelf at the moment. And you just record, you get back, you mix it into your computer with some, you know, Linkin Park music or something crazy like this. This is back before, you know, YouTube would flag you for having music like this. And you just kind of learn by doing. Now, this is something I've started to share a little bit more now that I've started into my third year of YouTube. But I produced videos every single week for one year before ever publishing anything on YouTube. I would kind of started YouTube for a while. It was like, hmm, not really feeling it. And then I stopped. And when I got into the mindset of like, I might want to start YouTube again, I decided I would need to build the habits. I, would, I needed to build up the habits and the skill and just kind of test myself out. So I just started making videos every single 
week. And by doing that consistently every week, I kind of taught myself more and more about video editing. And then it's kind of the same as like when you're you, you're a kid and you get your bicycle, right? You start with the training wheels, you get rid of those, you get comfortable, you might learn to ride with one hand. Some kids will go riding with no hands. Other kids will like do, you know, jump off the curb or pop a wheelie or stuff like that. Once you're comfortable with the absolute basics, you try out other stuff, you have fun, and then you find what works for you. Some people just stop riding bikes altogether. Other people become BMX bike riders. Other people ride road bikes and do country tours and all this stuff. So you kind of, by by just learning the basics, by just making simple videos, and more often than not, the best way to do it is the people around you, the things, like for me, I made videos of everything from cooking to my brothers visiting, you name it. I just loved making videos about what was going on in my life. And through that, I realized that I had the opportunity to document my life and that became much more interesting as an overall prospect than the idea of creating these crazy viral internet videos. And to this day, a large part of the YouTube and podcast journey is just kind of documenting where my life is right now. It helps that I have family overseas as well. Uh, you know, I, I can literally sit down and think of, okay, I think my mom would enjoy seeing this part of my life. I think my dad or brothers or sisters would enjoy seeing this part of my life. So this motivation just to keep doing it creates opportunities to pick up skills along the way. Um, that again, it's kind of the same as anything, you know, um, how, do, how do people learn to do their makeup by doing it, right? Uh, how did, how did I learn to build a shelf by doing it? So that is the, you know, learning by doing is it, always been my, my personal preferential style. It doesn't work for everybody. Some people need to actually sit down. Do you remember those like blah, blah, blah for dummies books? Oh man. When I first started trying to pick up new skills, I was like, I'm going to get some of these for dummies books. I used to love bookstores, by the way, more than anything. Like, oh man, you give me a Coles or a Chapters. Or, and I don't even know if these places still exist back home, but bookstores were my gen. Oh, I could spend hours and hours a day. I had bookshelves bigger than the shelf that I just built. Several of them in my house just filled with books. And looking back on it, I don't think I learned quarter if even a tenth as much from reading about stuff as I did from doing things um, which is really weird because one of the things that I always respected about my grandfather one of my favorite people in the world was the fact that he was incredibly well read he was the kind of gentleman who you could sit down and watch Jeopardy with and your mind would be blown because he would have every single answer he had this massive massive stack of National Geographic magazines magazines. And he could be like, well, you know, the one from, you know, episode or article, whatever, whatever, from issue, whatever, whatever, taught me that then, and then, I don't think he had an eidetic memory. He was just really well read and intelligent. So I always tried to latch onto that and see what I could learn out of books. But life experience is a great teacher overall. I think today, today is definitely, definitely the day of the sidebars. And so 
Uh, the next one, oh, we are we are almost definitely going to go deep sideways on this. So it says, I want to see a video with your new shamisen. You playing that would be nice. In a previous podcast episode, I committed to something. I promised that we were going to do more shamisen content. And I fully intend on holding to that promise. In fact, I've already recorded four shamisen related videos and I've deleted three. I think one of the big things for me is I've talked about it before, how it's so deeply personal. I'm so into it that I feel it's difficult to gauge the level of interest that others would have and, you know, not go overboard. But the other thing that I've realized through recording my playing and sharing is in the same way that we sit down here in the podcast and go into these wild tangents and sidebars. I, I do this because I genuinely enjoy having the opportunity to sit and talk to you. That is the entire purpose of the podcast is to generate this kind of conversation. I know it's very, very much one way, but as I do this, I think, okay, you know, maybe, maybe you're at the gym, maybe you're in the shower, maybe you're walking the dog, taking a jog, whatever it is, but this is kind of, you know, an escape from your day. You might learn something from it. You might get value. You might just get a bit of entertainment, but it allows me the freedom to go off sideways into these sidebars and share whatever I want to share with you, unfiltered, without worry about the visuals and everything like that. And for me, I have that same type of love for the shamisen. So every single time that I sit down and I start talking or I start sharing, when I look at it in the edit, something that I thought I might have covered in a brief 30 second to one minute segment, I talked for six plus minutes and I don't want to cut any of it. And when that's point one of five points that I've wanted to share in that video, and there's still other visuals and songs, the video that I haven't deleted. I'm trying to edit down from 40 minutes right now. And 40 minutes is it cut down to almost the bare minimum of what it is. But it's, it's 40 minutes of me just loving shamisen. And 40 minutes is a really, really long time. I'm sure I could break it up into parts one, two, and three. But, you know, the entire point is to have all of the, the information in it into one video. A long time ago, I did a Q&A on YouTube entirely wrapped around shamisen. The initial edit of the video was an hour and a half and I managed to edit it down to 25 minutes, but even that, even that was incredibly long. So that being said, uh, there will be content coming shamisen related, both for the channel and on the podcast. I really, really like to get something up in October. Uh, we'll talk about why getting it up in October is going to be so important to me pretty soon, but that's the goal. So if the end of October starts creeping up and you haven't heard any shamisen content either here on the podcast or if you're a viewer of the channel over on the channel, I give you full permission to start bombarding me on either Twitter, Instagram, the YouTube comment section, whatever it may be, I, I give you full access to just, just attack me. Be gentle. Come on, be nice. So that's, that's that. 
All that being said, uh, I am really enjoying the new Shamisen a lot. Like just having the opportunity to play this and to travel with this um, little, I, I've, I'm pretty sure I've covered this or, you know, it, it was made obvious at one point or another. But on the road trip that I did with Victor, we actually brought my shamisen along with me. So I can say now that I have traveled across the country with this shamisen and the desk that I am sitting at right now has special compartments built in it specifically for the storage and keeping of the shamisen. Moving on to yet another question here. It says, is there a Japanese food you can't eat? Oh, okay. Um, I'm not really a picky eater. I actually, I genuinely enjoy most, if not all foods. Um, I'd say less than a food, more of a, a spice seasoning or herb. There is a Japanese herb herb i don't know what you want to call it there is a japanese leaf if you will called shiso and there, there's two there's basically two things in this world that i i just cannot stand to eat one is shiso and the other one is pakuchi and i believe pakuchi in english is coriander and they're both kind of they, they have a very distinct flavor to them and i'm really really not a big fan of it now this here, um, it's unfortunate because things like ume or umeboshi, the, 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 the pickled plums in Japan, uh, I'd love to be able to enjoy these. Everyone I know enjoys them so much, but they are pickled with shiso, this leaf that I just cannot stand. Now, if you have never had shiso and you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about and no concept of it whatsoever, the easiest way to describe it would be as if it was trying to be a mint leaf but instead of having any hint of mintiness it kept the tingle that a mint would give you but instead kind of tasted like like sour like uh, I, I don't want to be insulting to people who like it but honestly to me it tastes as if someone had urinated on it it just tastes i'm really sorry about that by the way that is a very very vulgar image to put in your head as you're doing whatever it is you're doing but i cannot stand shiso oh lord so if you're ever around me and looking to play a terrible prank there's your opening shiso otherwise most, if not all, foods, not just Japanese, but foods in general. Um, I enjoy them quite a bit. Uh, when I first came to Japan, one of the things that was really difficult for me was the lack of food options. Coming from Canada, there's food from everywhere. I can get, you know, obviously Japanese, Chinese food. I, I don't know if we really have any Canadian food other than scallop potatoes, if you know what that is. Maybe maple syrup counts as well. But I could get Greek food. There was a Jamaican restaurant that I absolutely loved. You can get food from Egypt, basically all over the place. And coming to Japan, obviously, there is a lot of great food. But international food options at the beginning were very limited. Now, recently, Japan has opened up a lot more. There's more Mexican food. There's even, whew, there's even Taco Bell. Now, obviously, that, that, that's just good for cleaning more than anything else, but it, it's there. Taco Bell is an option. So it's gotten easier and easier. It, 
personally, I think one of the best ways to truly, truly enjoy and appreciate Japanese food is to eat a variety of foods in, in your, I guess, general daily balance and diet. So just having Japanese food all the time in its own way can kind of degrade the experience of Japanese food. And it's one of the reasons that I really appreciate Japanese cuisine is very seasonal. If you didn't know this, Japanese really focus on seasonal items. So there are foods that you focus on in the spring, the fall, etc. And it adds an extra element of enjoyment to it. But again, a season lasts several months. So taking a break every now and then to enjoy something that is distinctly non-Japanese, more often than not, I tend to gorge on it, especially when I have the opportunity to go out and grab some like all-you-can-eat tacos. Ooh, oh man, that, that just, and it resets me. And then as soon as I have the opportunity to sit down and have a genuine Japanese meal, I appreciate it just so much more. Moving on from that question, there's one here that kind of made me smile. And it is so in contrast with the way that I opened up this podcast episode that I just absolutely had to include this in here and wanted to share it with you. So it said, have you had any interesting interaction with the police while in Japan? Now, I have shared before one or two different situations where I've had interactions with police in Japan, not in a particularly negative way, not like getting in trouble or anything crazy like that. But there's one that stands out to me simply because with the goal of living within the air of positivity, this is a really good one to share. I've talked before about my car accident. Somewhere back around 2010, 2011, I had a car accident. I think it was I think it was around 2010, maybe beginning of 2011. Now this car accident was a really unfortunate situation. There was not like it was anyone's specific fault. If you're wondering what happened and you don't know, I have done an entire video up on YouTube talking about something like I crashed my race car in Japan. Now in the end what happened is when I when when the car finally stopped and I looked around at the damage that had been done by this car spinning out. I didn't know what to feel. I was like, well, I have to take responsibility as it was my car that caused all of this. And I honestly expected at that time for my life to be over. And I was really taken aback by the kindness of the police officers. You see, we ended up being, you know, um, the car being towed off of the highway, sitting down at the police station. And they took witness accounts. They took my account. They looked over the footage from the accident and everything because there was a camera up on the highway nearby. And they said, you're really lucky. You are incredibly lucky that it played out the way that it did. And we're so glad that you're still here and we can sit down and talk to you and say this. There was an accident two days before you had your accident and it wasn't nearly as big with not even close to as many people involved. And two people lost their lives. You and your friends, everyone in the situation walked away with their lives and you're very very lucky because of the circumstances of this situation we're going to write it up so that we can almost ensure you that your insurance will cover everything 
You're not at fault. There's no criminal charges happening. You're completely okay. We know that that would be a huge stress for you coming out of this situation. So please understand that you are okay. Just make sure that you deal with things with the insurance company. Make sure that if you feel any pain in your back, neck, anything, or any of your friends do, that you get checked and just take care of yourself. I was so taken aback by how incredibly kind these police were. Like they, they come onto this scene. There's, you know, the, what do you see? You see car parts and garbage all over the place. And right from the beginning, they were like, don't stress about it. We're going to look into it. Everything will be fine. And this, I, I, I'm already feeling like I'm, I'm rambling. It kind of comes back to that whole shamisen type situation where I have such a deep emotional connection to this memory that I'm like, well, how, how do I balance sharing this? The main point of it being that these police officers from the start to the end were incredibly concerned and kind. They were concerned with the well-being, not just physically, but mentally of how I would deal going through such a stressful situation. They leaned heavily onto my side and made sure that anybody who came in who didn't know what was going on you know if you were like three cars behind and you had no idea what was going on you'd be like well there there's the foreigner whose car crashed everything but they made sure that everybody in the situation knew what happened and what led the car to spinning out and it really really it, it took me by surprise and really gave me a really positive positive spin on how kind police can be. Now, that being said, there have obviously been other situations. Like when I first moved to Japan, my uh, I was I rode a bicycle absolutely everywhere and it was in a time and area where bike thefts were really common so I constantly had my bike being checked like almost every single day to the point where I just printed out a card saying yes this is my bicycle I've handed it to you I've handed this card to you along with my ID feel free to check and if you have any questions ask me so I just like handed that to the police every single time they would read it and they'd be like ah oh, are we are we checking that off and I'm like yeah yeah and they were always nice and pleasant that being said, there are just as many people who have had unpleasant, uh, you know, situations with police. But I think it's safe to say that the general rule stands. If you are nice to others, they will be nice back to you. That's obviously not a thing that always happens. Sometimes you'll be nice to somebody and they'll just be straight up a total jerk. But for the most part, for the most part, I believe that if you are smiley and polite and professional, pleasant, whatever it is, as long as you are not belligerent, rude, aggressive, and just totally outside of the realm of what another human being would expect from you in terms of a, you know, decent human interaction, you should be okay, whether it be a shop owner, uh, you know, anything. A total, total sidebar to this. Okay, so I was shooting a video with Tokyo Creative probably a month or so ago and we went into an antiques shop now originally this antiques shop had agreed to be in tokyo creatives video but we very very quickly ended up switching it to another shop because of how unbelievably rude and condescending aggressive and just unpleasant the owner of this shop was but even inside of that Kanako from Tokyo Creative 
was so pleasant and professional. She just apologized. She's like, I'm sorry you feel that way. You know, we, we, we can definitely leave. Don't worry about it. And that was kind of inspiring because it's, it's so easy to get into a stressful situation or have somebody be rude to you and just return it exactly the same way. Somebody gives you attitude, you give it back. And, you know, we, we've all heard that, you know, turn the other cheek, but to honestly be around people as they do something that pleasant and professional, someone, he was completely going off the rails at her and she just could not have been more pleasant. And half of me in that moment was like, wow, this is really unfortunate that I have to, you know, that, that she has to go through that, that I have to be here and, you know, be a part of this atmosphere. There was a very small part of me that was like, mm, this is uncomfortable and I, I wish we could just leave. I wish she would just stop being so pleasant and just walk out. But then when all the dust settled and I look back at the situation, more than anything, I was just kind of inspired. I was like, mm, I love that. Like the next time, the next time that somebody is that rude to me or rude to me at all, I'm just going to return it with kindness. I'm going to see if I can latch on to that moment and carry it forward. Anyways, we have, as always, it's, as I said, today is like a sidebar matsuri, total sidebar festival. Now, question here it says, my Japanese language school shut down. So now I have a self-study. What's your favorite method for self-study? Um, how many people right now know exactly what I'm going to say? Are, are you raising your hand? I hope you're raising your hand. My favorite method of self-study is literally just to do something every single day. Um, definitely going hardcore broken record on this, but recently I did a video with Dogen. Um, this, I don't think uh, too much of it made its way onto the podcast, but there is a video up on the channel where Dogen and I talk about different techniques for learning Japanese. Dogen focuses very heavily on phonetics and pronunciation, and for me, it's really just the action of doing something every single day. And this is actually going to come forward in, there's, I, th I think the next question in here is, how do you find time to exercise and stay healthy? I'm going to group both of these questions into kind of one answer and then split off at the end. So really when it comes down to it, you don't ever find a time for something. If you're waiting to find time for something, it's literally never going to happen. And even if it does, it'll be short-lived. You make time for it. So for me, when I was hardcore studying Japanese, I set three times or more a day that were dedicated purely to Japanese. Number one is as soon as I woke up, like eyes open, I would open up like a, something like a, a manga or a kid's book. Kid's books were really, really big for me back then because I thought I could, you know, learn basic grammar structure and simple words that kids would know. So I had a collection of probably 50 different kids books. And as soon as I woke up, I wouldn't touch my phone or anything. I'd just go straight into a book and reading. The other big one was public transportation time for me. When I was on the bus, that was 100% time for me to be in a notebook, just kind of, you know, studying. Or I would use the visual cues around me to try and describe something in my head in Japanese. 
Like I'd be like, you know, that seat is black or the floor is gray or that car is red or I don't know why I'm only describing colors, but you get the point. I would be constantly using that time. That time for me was dedicated 100% to the development of my linguistic studies. And then the last thing I would do before going to sleep was always some form of listening practice. Now, I had the added advantage, as many of you probably know by this point, of having Japanese people around me that I could practice this Japanese with, that I could speak Japanese with, because they didn't want to speak English at home in Canada, so it just gave me the opportunity to repeatedly mess up. But the main point, and the thing that I think helped me the most, was just the fact that I took action on it every single day, in the exact same way that I take action on my health and fitness. I had let that slip for quite a while. And recently, I've been getting back into shape. I am in such better shape right now than I was four months ago. I've slowly along the way uh, documented the process and have considered making a video on it. But I don't know. It, it ended up being a lot more personal than I expected it to be. And uh, yeah, it, it was actually really, really, I can spoil the entire video for you right now, by the way. And I will, I will, I will share the whole thing. The entire thing has been 20 to 30 minutes of exercise every single morning, almost entirely in the form of variations and increased numbers of push-ups watching my diet, eating a lot more chicken breast, taking in a lot more water. And I instantly, well, not instantly, by instantly, I mean like over a span of like four to five months, dropped close to six or seven kilograms and just generally got in better shape. That's the whole video right there. And, um, so I don't, I don't actually think that that video is going to make its way onto my channel, but I had let myself slip for a while. I wasn't taking action every single morning. And now I kind of treat it like it's, it's the trigger for me to be able to, to begin my day. So before I will, uh, you know, before I'll open my phone in the morning or before I'll grab food in the morning, I absolutely positively have to box off at least 50 push-ups. Like it's, it's a rule. That's like the, the key that unlocks my day. I'm not allowed to touch my phone until that point, And I'm not allowed to take a calorie until that point. And then after doing that, you just kind of feel like, okay, I've accomplished a little bit of something. It gives the day a little bit of a boost. And then you kind of feel like you've earned the food as well. And then you're a little more careful with what you eat. Like I'm probably not going to start my day with a bowl of Lucky Charms after doing a bit of exercise. I'll probably lean towards something more like golden. No, I'm kidding. I'll lean more towards like some kind of granola or, you know, maybe some fruit or even just some scrambled eggs, something like that. So in the end, whether it be your language or your fitness, you're never going to find time. Uh, you're always going to have to make time. And the easiest way is to schedule it into the smallest section of your day possible, whether it be your daily commute, whether it be those moments when you first wake up. Like, honestly, when you first wake up, stop and think, how much time do you spend on something that you could really inevitably just shave off? Whether it be checking your phone or just, you know, vegging, listening to, to music, watching TV, like how much time in the morning. Now, 
obviously, if you're waking up and, you know, getting ready and heading right off to work and you've got a packed morning schedule, that's not what I'm talking about. For example, your day off on the weekend or even when you come back from work. Yes, you're tired, but more often than not, when I was tired coming back from having a full-time job, that was exactly when I would get home take off my suit and just be like, I'm just going to, I'm going to do like 50 to a hundred pushups right now. And that put me in better shape during that time than I have ever been in my entire life. And it also gave me the energy that I needed because more often than not, it, it served as like this break from the day. I'd been exhausted from work. I got home. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do like 50, 100 push-ups, whatever, right now. And then as soon as I finished that, I was like, whew, I feel like a, like a, a slightly like a new day has started. And so, it, you know, I'd jump into edits and I would ramble on a podcast just like this. So moving on to the next question. The next question is, do you ever regret moving to Japan? I know, I know I have covered this in a video before and the simple and honest answer is no. There is zero, zero point in my personal opinion to regretting anything. The past is the past. It can't be changed. You can learn from it and take different actions in the future. But if I at any point regretted moving to Japan, I, I just, I wouldn't be here. I would leave. I'd be like, okay, cool. Next step. I'm heavily, heavily subscribing to the idea or subscribed, I guess would be a better way to the idea that you are a hundred percent in control of anything in your life that's outside of the physical health of uh, physical or mental health of you or those around you. There are obviously physical issues that impact us that we or the ones around us that we cannot control. But when it comes down to the choices that you make in your life and the life that you build for yourself, that's a hundred percent up to you. And so regret really does no good. I think Sherry said it best once. Um, I think I did a video called for those of you struggling. And I asked her if she had difficulty finding the motivation to do what she does every day, because she is nonstop go, go, go from the moment she wakes up to the moment she goes to sleep. It is just pure work for her seven days a week. And she said something like, no, I, you know, the world around me keeps moving. So I really have no choice but to keep moving too. And it's, it's true. If you stop, you'll be left behind. And so that that's my answer on the regretting moving to Japan and in the same breath. Okay, I'm gonna go a little dark and a little straight on this next one. The question here is, is living in Japan hard? My honest belief on this is if you are asking this question, then yes, living in Japan will be hard for you. And the entire reason for this is because of mindset. If you have the question of like, is living here going to be hard? Is this going to be difficult? Then you're setting yourself up for that. And I'm going to come back to an anecdote in a little bit of a minute. But the simple, simplest way to put this is it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what language. It only matters how you react to that. So if you have the confidence that you can get through any situation, then you're going to be fine basically no matter where you go. For example, whether I lived in Tokyo, whether I lived in the countryside of Japan, or whether you drop me in the middle of China tomorrow, I would be able to build the exact same lifestyle. Two things that really contribute to that are number one, just the mindset. Again, I say it for a reason. People are people no matter where you go. So it doesn't matter if I'm here, if I'm in China, if you drop me, you know, in the, in the 
valleys of Africa or wherever you put me, life is, is going to be life. And I will find a way to survive and thrive and do everything that I do. The other thing that gives us a huge advantage is the internet. Everything that I do right here for you guys is is through the internet. I give you the opportunity to live vicariously and enjoy Japan and learn little things, have these little connections, the community, everything. And again, I could do that from here or basically no matter where I went. So in my personal opinion, living in Japan is no more difficult than living in Canada would be. For example, for me, if I had to really, really narrow it down to like, you know, pedantic little details, living in Canada might even be harder because I personally do not react well to cold. I cannot stand the winter and cold and having to bundle up and everything like that. And, you know, it throws a damper on my mood. So that would be an like added challenge for me, an unnecessary challenge for me. For me, because I'm surrounded by stuff that I love and things that inspire me, living in Japan is so much easier. But again, I really truly believe that if you took me out of Japan and dropped me into, for example, Ireland tomorrow morning, or if you took me out and dropped me into the Netherlands or Germany, you give me a couple days and I would find so much stuff that I love that instantly my life would go from being in a new place and scared to loving everything around myself because it's really just who I am. So when you say, is living in Japan hard? If that's a concern, it's something that I feel that you're you're kind of focusing on and you create your own realities with this. One of my favorite anecdotes that I use again and again and again with everybody around me, it's really one of my face-to-face anecdotes, is that when I first tried to learn how to drive stick, how to drive manual or standard in a car, I had a friend teaching me who was like, this is very difficult. You will stall. Just deal with that. You'll eventually get over it. Just understand that this is a very difficult thing for many people. And I'm pretty sure that that person originally had struggled with learning to drive stick. And that's why they shared it that way. So I went into it with the mindset that this was going to be difficult. And I stalled the car quite a bit. And we had like two or three different practice sessions together. Each one was really short. It was like 15, 20 minutes. And in the end, I never ended up learning how to drive a stick. And I totally gave up on it until about a year later when a good friend, Derek, was like, man, you can't drive stick? And I was like, no, no, I can't. And he's like, oh my God, it's so easy. He's like, trust me. I'm like, if I can do it, you can do it. I can teach you in like five minutes. And I'm like, nah, man, I, I tried. I tried. And he's like, dude, get out of your head. Seriously, just come try with me. So he put me in his car and he's like, okay, just, just give it a shot. And obviously having the mindset that I had, I stalled the car. And he instantly reached over and turned off the keys. Like, yup, the, the entire problem is the fact that you're sitting there going, oh, I'm going to stall. I'm going to stall. You're literally saying it out loud. And aside from the fact that it's probably damaging your ability to do it, it's just irritating. So just get that out of your head, shut up and just don't stall. Just, just drive. You can do this. Just stop pretending that you can't. And that stuck with me because Derek, unlike me, is a man of few words. Derek is fairly fairly chill and you know quiet guy and he was really like I don't understand why you you can't do this and so I was like okay well 
if Derek has that much faith that I can pull this off like this, I'm just going to, I'm going to go for it. And I think like within two or three tries from then, I locked into it and never looked back. I've been able to beautifully drive standard ever since that moment. And it took him less than 10 minutes to take me from not being able to, to being able to do it. And that was a huge turning point for me where I realized literally just how much power my own perspective, not even my mind, like, yes, we all know the mind has so much power, yada, yada, but my own perspective, my viewpoint and my expectations had over the outcome. I was literally causing myself to stall the car because I thought I was going to. This is actual real thing that happened. And Every single time that I have the slightest bit of doubt, I always go back to that. And I'm like, nah, nah I'm not going to let the doubt get in my mind. I'm just not going to let it happen. I'm just going to believe that this is going to work and it's going to work out. And things have played out really well ever since then. So the next one, and actually I've got quite a few of these inside of uh, and it's one of the reasons I've left this one to the end so that those who have stuck around to this point will get to have this information nice and early. Yay. So quite a few people have said, I'm coming to Japan in October. Uh, will you be around, etc., etc." So for those of you who, I feel like I say for those of you who blah, 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 like really often, like way, definitely way more often. So, so you'll know, you'll know that I, whenever possible, love to have the opportunity to meet up or connect with people. It's one of the reasons why I love the podcast. It's one of the reasons why I really, really love doing live streams because we get the opportunity to directly interact. And it's one of the reasons why whenever physically possible, I love to jump out and meet people here in the city or try to do some form of meetup or just something interactive with the community. However, October, November is not going to be an option for me. Well, not in Tokyo, at least. Because for a very large portion of October and November, I will be back in Canada for the first time in like two years. Oh, I've got us up to it's only my second trip back in a total of like five plus years it has been it's been way too long and so i will not be in tokyo during that time i will be in canada you better bet i hope to be doing some kind of little event uh, maybe a little get together something fun or interesting so if you are on the east coast area like toronto or surrounding area maybe even new york buffalo whatever part of canada Stay tuned. I will try to keep uh, most social media outlets updated with anything. Um, probably toss something on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, all of that. So yeah, going back to Canada for a while. Looking forward to it. And hopefully, hopefully, might even get to meet a couple cool people. And the last question that I want to do here is, just because it's a fun question, what are your everyday fears. And my everyday fears are actually really quite simple right now. It's just a constant uphill struggle, panic, and fear about running out of time to do all the things that I want to do. And I feel like the podcast has definitely suffered the most for that. And A, for those of you who are regular listeners and really look forward to getting that next episode of the podcast, 
I apologize that it has taken a hit, but as I said, we are back in the swing of the podcast. I just really want to get the time to put together more and more episodes. One of the things that I kind of hope to do in the future, not anytime soon, that would really, really make it a lot easier, is bring on an editor for podcast stuff solely an audio editor to take care of the little cuts and little things that I do here and there. It's it's a very simple task. It just tends to be time consuming because you got to go through the entire podcast, which means a one hour recording can easily turn into two, two and a half hours with the edit and the upload and everything. So it's one of those things that in the future, it is a goal. I would like to be able to, you know, bring on someone to help do some work with the audio on the podcast. But for now, it's just generally an uphill struggle in terms of time. As I said, like I have not gone outside in four days and it has just been a lot of it. A huge, huge chunk of it is purely choosing music for videos it is way more time consuming than you might think. And I, a lot of it's just on me because I'm really picky and I want to build a very specific atmosphere. For example, I recently did a little bit of a video with Tokyo Creative where we rented an RV and we went out to fireworks. Now, in that video, I had a little bit of a segment that was like an 80s sitcom opening and the edit for that was actually pretty basic, but finding the exact song. There were like a few sitcom-esque songs out there, but finding the exact feeling or rhythm or whatever, and like one that matched the scene that I was making, took me three and a half hours for probably a six, seven segment section of that video. But I absolutely had to have that song because it would make or break that one little scene. And if I'd gone through the effort of recording that scene and putting it together, I might as well finish it properly. So it's, it's the little things that eat up a lot more time than you would expect, combined with things like busy work, email, you know, editing videos, this, that, and the next thing, getting the room set up, yada, yada, yada. So for me, the big struggle, the uphill thing, the thing that scares me more than anything is loss of time or missed opportunities. If I were to go broke, if I were to lose absolutely every single cent that I have and end up homeless, I'd be fine with that. I could just totally start over. I can get money back. The thing that I cannot get back and the thing that I probably value more than anything in this entire world is time. And as somebody who has about a billion and one things that I want to do every single day, you just always feel like you're not going to have enough time to do it more often than not. Like I'll have a list, even if I just set out five things for a day that I want to do more often than not, I'll only get four done. Sometimes I'll get seven, but you know, it's really a roll of the dice. You never know how the day is going to play out. But that that's the Q&A section. Um, one thing that I will say is I've genuinely, genuinely, truly enjoyed recording this particular episode. I've got my office set up in a way right now that's just is very, very conducive to being able to put together things like this. It's very ergonomic. It's comfortable. The overall sound design of the office is much better. Up until now, I had actually been setting up the podcast and recording it in my bedroom, in my sleeping quarters, just surrounding myself with cushions and whatnot, just so I could kill any echo in the room. As you know, I just moved into this place 
And until recently, having open space and open walls has just led to so much echo. But having this taken care of has just been a true, true joy. And I've really enjoyed putting together this podcast episode for you. I really hope that you have enjoyed it too. If you did, if you got any value out of this at all, whether you learned something or had some entertainment, it would really mean a lot to me if you take 10 seconds out of your day, jump over to iTunes, leave a review. I really love those. Always puts a smile on my face. I get a lot of value from that. So thank you guys so much for joining. I hope that the rest of your day is beautiful no matter what you're doing. And you know I will talk to you again real soon. Mm-hmm.